Hey, you're not going to want to miss our podcast today. We're wrapping up our discussion of Eric McTaxis's book, Letter to the American Church, and uh, and he ends strong. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, Ronald Reagan's famous uh, Brandenburg Gate speech where he told Mr. Gorbachev, tear that wall down. And uh, the power of using our voices in a prophetic way, speaking the truth, being bold about the truth, and then watching the cataclysmic results of uh, the ripple effects of truth when it hits society. You know, anything built on a lie will collapse, but anything built on truth will stand. Uh, And this is a strong, strong, strong uh, example of what happens when people simply use their voices and boldly stand for truth. You're not going to want to miss this podcast today. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Happy holidays, everyone. We just got done with a great Thanksgiving uh, holiday celebration. And, you know, I just wanted to mention, um, I thought Pastor Aaron did such a phenomenal job of just encouraging our people to uh, live in a spirit of gratitude and Thanksgiving. And, and then you were out of town. I was out of town. We both came back to a, um, a sanctuary and, and foyer that is absolutely spectacular. We are now in full-blown uh, ramping up to Christmas mode. Yeah, it's a winter wonderland here at Livingstone's <laughs> Church. And you know what? We're unashamed of that. We're proud of that, you know? Because, That's the truth. Because this is a time of, of remembrance, of celebration. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I like the feel in the foyer, in the sanctuary. Yeah, hey, we don't worship Christmas trees, but we do like them, you know? Uh, they, <laughs> they add to the holiday uh, uh, festivities. And, you know, that, like I said, you walk into the foyer first thing in the morning, the, it's all lit up, the... The lights are, you know, reflecting everywhere across the floor and the windows, and it's just gorgeous in there. Like you said, it looks like a winter wonderland. So it's a fun time of the year, uh, and it's probably a good time just to say, hey, we have a, a community candlelight ceremony and worship service coming up uh, on the uh, Friday night before on Christmas weekend, yeah. um, and um, you'll, you'll see more time on that. But it, that's a great, great opportunity to come on out and be a part of just the the worship and the celebration and um, and the tradition. You know, it's a, it's a great, great time. Yeah, I mean, I've read many studies that talk about how traditions reinforces identity. It reinforces yeah. your sense of who you are and, and how much more of traditions, Christian traditions, reinforce your identity found in Christ. You know, yeah. I used to kind of say, oh, what's the purpose of these traditions? Be, be poo-poo on tradition. Yeah, yeah. Now, then I realized, man, how important is tradition, not just for us individually, but for us as an organization, as a family unit, for kids. All yeah. those are so, super you know, important. Tradition can be uh, that dead religion that Bonhoeffer talks about yeah. if you let it, but yes. it doesn't have to be. You know, it's kind of like you can sing an old hymn, and it's just an old hymn that, ha- that lacks any uh, fire, but yeah. if your heart's on fire and you're singing that old hymn, it's 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 just got the same anointing on it as uh, as if it was written yesterday. You know, I think it's the same thing. Like the candlelight, there's something, you know, that's a tradition. Yeah. Um, we celebrate Jesus as the light of the world, uh, but I love seeing the the wonder of the moment, the kids holding those candles and trying not to light their sister's, you know, hair on fire <laughs> and drip the, drip the wax all over the seats or whatever, but it's worth the risk yeah. because uh, there's just something really in the fullest sense of the word awesome, you know, about that moment. Well, Jesus himself introduced a tradition of communion so that we can remember. Right. You know? We could say, well, that's just a tradition, right. um, but it's not. It, it, it's a, it is a powerful 
remembrance of what Christ has done for us. So in that spirit, that's why we gather. And I guess it's also a good time just to to let people know, you know, as you're watching this podcast, we try to keep you up to speed on on what's happening in our world here. And um, uh, we're moving along rapidly with the completion of our building. Of course, we call this campaign the Now Campaign. And um, as we're coming up to maybe three weeks left in this uh, 2023 year, I just want to remind people we're, we're believing God for a strong, you know, final push um, and that we're believing to pay that building off in full, be debt free and, uh, and just looking at a celebration coming up sometime uh, late spring, early summer. Yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, Pastor yeah. Aaron and I got to do a little walkthrough, snuck in a little bit into <laughs> to uh, take a look, and it's amazing uh, what has been accomplished. You know, I feel, I, I feel like we're, we've been running a marathon, three-year marathon, wow. and we're on the last mile and a half, and, and it's close enough over the hill. You can see, like, the little banner for, yeah. No, yeah. for, Don't quit for finish now. line. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, and I, th- I feel like we're not exhausted. We're full of zeal. Yeah. We're full of fire, full of yeah. passion. The yeah. excitement, that congregation are excited. Um, and, and there's great things moving. So it's not just the building that has been formed. So I, I I will even say the building is a symbolic of the growth that's happening in the body. Well said. Yeah. And and not just the empty shell. Yeah. No one's excited about a building. We're just excited about the Lord, about each other, about the growth that's happening. And the the excitement over the building is like, yay, we have more room to get everybody in. And, uh, and, and as we've talked about before, really to, to be our living stones culture, which is, we want people to be seen and known and loved and prayed for. And we want to welcome, make room and roll out the red carpet for the Holy Spirit. And, uh, I think it's going to give us the opportunity to do that. Plus, that expanded children's wing is looking amazing. Uh, that's desperately needed as yeah. we have between, what, 250 and 300 kids every week. So uh, that is a humongous need, and it's just going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Kind of like the, the children of Israel taking possession of the prom- promised land, you know, yeah. <laughs> step by step and inch by inch and mile by mile. Windows by windows, drywall by drywall. <laughs> I, I think what's also exciting to me is because, you know, in, in many ways, I also can see the greater and greater needs of our community. I mean, I'm not even talking about the nation, which is dire. I'm talking about just even our community. And what this building will allow us to do is meet those needs in a very, very tangible way. And and maybe most people don't see it from that perspective, but you and I, because just the limitations of our building, our spaces, we're always fighting over, not fighting, but trying to to figure out the prioritizing the space issue, that having that relief even on Sunday morning, even the parking lot situation, we were like, there's greater needs to be fulfilled. And this is a very, such a tangible way for us to fulfill this need. It's not rocket science. We need more space. We need more to, to <laughs> serve more people well. We need to uh, meet more wounds and hurts. Yeah. There's more space for us. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're very excited and we're glad that you're excited with us and just wanted to celebrate that and keep that before you uh, yeah. in prayer. And, and as, as the Lord would lead you, obviously, to give and to support that. You know, I'm a little bit bittersweet about coming to the end of this uh, wonderful book by Eric Metaxas called A Letter to the American Church. We hope you've enjoyed uh, working through that with us. Um, uh, I think Eric needs to call us up and thank us for all the book sales because we've been pushing this book for... Uh, for, for but just come do an interview with us. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Eric. <laughs> By the way, we, we do hope to get Eric Metaxas through here at some point in time. Uh, that's another reason why I'm excited about the larger sanctuary. Uh, but he has been a, a great voice for 
spiritual awakening in the church and obviously uh, his uh, incredible historical biography uh, led to this book because I think probably he wasn't the only one that saw the parallels and I think a lot of people probably said it. Eric, it's amazing the parallels between Nazi Germany and the church in America today. Um, And that, of course, led to this follow-up book, which he's done a really wonderful job kind of walking us through the problems of the church. And so today we're going to cover the last two chapters. They're very short. And then uh, we'll be announcing uh, kind of where we're headed next uh, on this podcast. But uh, he, the, the, the title of the chapter is called Religionless Christianity. And, um, this was a a phrase that came out of another one of uh, uh, Bonhoeffer's books, uh, Letters and Papers from Prison. That was that was published after his death by a uh, a his closest friend, and Bonhoeffer uses this phrase, religionless Christianity, that. Uh, the left and all the liberal German theologians that were part of the problem in the first place really latched on to that, to that phrase and, um, and used it for their own purposes and almost made it look like when Bonhoeffer was facing his most you know, dire situation that he kind of turned on the faith and really was espousing um, uh, you know, kind of a, a religionless Christianity. In other words, uh, almost like an ecumenical, we all believe in the same God, oneness of humanity, uh, your theology doesn't matter, um, just love each other, you know, c- kind of that social gospel that pulls all the doctrinal teeth out and really isn't a Christ- Christianity at all. Um, but let's talk about that. that that's not what, that, that would have been a complete betrayal of Bonhoeffer's entire life if that was a flip-flop, um, what does Bonhoeffer really mean by a religionless Christianity? Right. You got to really see that through the context of Bonhoeffer's writings. Yep. And basically what he railed against is the exactly. sense of outward religion, which actually hinders the inner work of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts and prompt us to act out in real life. Right. And, and, and really, summarize, I think a simple way to look at it, he's basically railing against the pharisaical yeah. uh, attitudes of the church. Exactly. So, so when we say a religionless Christianity, we're saying keep Christianity. That's the essence, loving Jesus, obeying the Lord, giving your life completely to Christ. Um, he talked about a full, rounded faith where you not only have a, a doctrinal belief in your head, but you, your hands and your feet and your heart follow what you believe to be true. In other words, a, a, a gospel that acts, a gospel that serves, a gospel that stands for truth. And so I love I love your characterization there of Phariseeism. That's that ugly, hollow shell um, uh, that, that needs to be separated from the real wheat. That it's the chaff that needs to blow away. So when he's talking about a religionless Christianity, he's saying we need the church, not a religion like the church in Germany has, which has led to this Holocaust. Uh, which has led to inactivity, which has led to belief statements nailed to the wall that show, hey, we believe the right thing, but no passion, no no zeal, no no passion for truth. That's what he's reacting against. Uh, a, a religionless Christianity, a pure Christianity, devoid of uh, empty, hollow, pharisaical religion. Mm-hmm. And um, and we could argue the same thing, you know, for today, um, with all the needs that are around us. Um, uh, a gospel that causes that propels us, that advances us. I was just preaching on that 
you know, Sunday, um, a gospel that, sa- that says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, uh, that goes after those gates and knocks those gates down. Um, that's, that's really what he, he is arguing for. And, uh, and again, I think he's right on, and we could say amen to that in our culture today. Um, he says, um, uh, do we head for the caves believing nothing will actually, nothing we do will actually matter? Uh, talking again about that escapism. And uh, we're living in a time today, especially with all this going on with Israel, where it's very easy for people to start jumping into their, uh, their end time eschatology and basically saying, we're living in the end times. Um, and there's really nothing we can do, so we just need to hide out and weather the storm and hold the fort till Jesus comes. And I think he's dealing with the same kind of mentality, you know, in his day. Um, so yeah. let's, let's not be that way. Amen. All right. In the 40s, if they thought the end time was coming and they were just going to retreat, well, you know, 60, 70 years later, as us looking back and say, hey, guys, yeah. that wasn't, Jesus wasn't coming then. He actually wanted you guys to engage. So I wonder if 100 years from now, yeah. people will look back to 2023 and say, hey, those church are, did they engage or they're waiting for Jesus to come back? Well, and again, we don't, we're not, you know, mocking or in any way diminishing the talk of the end times or the second coming. But we we're, don't know. Yeah, well, that's the point. I was having a great discussion with one of my sons about this. And I just said, you know, you know, if you've been around longer, say, you know, he's in his 20s, uh, I'm in my 60s, uh, I've had a few more decades to under my belt to watch how the church has responded. You know, there was a time when people probably thought Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist or Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, I mean, or the various popes. Uh, you know, I've heard people think Pope this, Pope that's the Antichrist. Well, it all proved to be nonsense. And... Um, and that's, I think, when the church gets a black eye is when we get distracted from being the church and we start withdrawing and then we start wondering, okay, is that person, you know, the Antichrist? Is this movement the Antichrist? And and then you find out with time, oh, well, it wasn't. Uh, so then we, like you said, then we just wasted all these years because we were withdrawn instead of engaged. That's a tragedy. So I've always taken the approach at Living Stones, you know, let's just occupy till Jesus comes. Let's declare his lordship. Let's take ground. Let's let's be moving and advancing irregardless of what your end time scenario looks like. Um, let's be busy. Let's let's be doing what our what our Lord would have us to be doing. What work while while it's still light, uh, and not sit back and start pro- prognosticating about what could be or, or what is, you know? Well, I, I think you and I <laughs> both probably embody this is if we're not advancing, we're dying. Mm-hmm. And there's no neutral ground. Right. Uh, even standing is a form of advancing. Standing is saying, hey, I'm going to hold my ground for a second, and then I'm going to advance later. <laughs> it's a strategic standing. And, 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 and that's I think that philosophy, that approach is not, from my experience, not generally, not general, generally the church culture I've seen today. Right now, some people obviously have that, but a lot do not, and that's I think that's what he's talking about. And and the next chapter, even more so, is a very optimistic, very uh, victorious perspective, victorious. Uh, forward-thinking perspective towards, hey, we got to take ground, or else we're, we're dying, and we can't afford to be dying. That fatalism is fatal to the to the church. You know, when you sit back and go, well, 
you know, this, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, and then we're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and the planet's going to get darker and darker and darker, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's that's fatalism, and Christians are not called to fatalism. We're not fatalists. We believe that we have free agency. We believe we can make choices. We believe we're partnering with the Lord. We believe with God all things are possible, and we believe that faith overcomes the world. I mean, these are these are foundational beliefs that that should guide the church and keep us moving forward, as you said. If we sit back and embrace the status quo, we're irrelevant at best and probably dead at worst, you know. Um, so I, I just want to get back to this this push, you know, there are people, the liberals would always say, we need to pull out those, um, those absolutes that separate us, those exclusive beliefs. Jesus is the only way to salvation. You know, the, the talk about hell and some of these things that seem, you know, the wrath of God. Um, let's just kind of take out some of those elements. Let's take out the supernatural because we all know that, you know, that's not really true. We live in a scientific world and we don't see supernatural stuff. And, you know, so we'll, we'll pull out all the miracles. And in other words, you just dumb down the Bible to its least common denominator. And you think by doing so, you're going to attract the greatest amount of people and we're all going to be unified and live happily ever after. Uh, kind of like the John Lennon Imagine song, you know, imagine a world without religion. We're all going to live happily ever after in this utopia. And, and that's exactly the opposite of, of what we found to be true. You know, when you take a stand, a bold stand uh, on truth and you preach the gospel, yes, it's exclusive, but it actually gives hope to people. And it's very attractional because people are looking for answers and people are looking for life. Uh, when you boil the gospel down and take everything out that makes it uh, the gospel in hopes that you're going to create this big common ground where we all come together and have a, a big love fest, um, it just doesn't work that way. And the church in Germany tried to do that with, with Nazism, right? Try to put their arms around it and embrace it uh, in kind of a nationalism. And it was an absolute disaster. Uh, so that's the, the answer to America is not to dumb down the gospel and take out all the offen offensive parts to worldly people and kind of create this woke gospel that embraces all the, the latest cultural movements. That's not solving the problem. That's going to create an even greater problem. And I think Nazi Germany and the church in Nazi Germany was, was evidence of all that. Yeah. So that was the chapter on religionless Christianity, and uh, let's go to the last chapter, which was called The Final Push. Now, this brought back some memories because this was back in my wheelhouse back in the 80s. Um, he talks about a, um, well, first of all, back in 1980, which was right when I was graduating from high school, that's when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and that was while Jimmy Carter was, was president. Um, and while we just celebrated or honored uh, the passing of his wife uh, and the you know great person that she was, I think everybody would agree the uh, the Carter presidency was one of the low points in American history as far as presidential moments. Our nation was a disaster. Inflation was sky high. I remember people lines waiting to get gas. Um, it was a time of American weakness. It was a time when our uh, enemies were emboldened. And, uh, and this is when the Soviet Union just decided, hey, we're going to go in and 
try to take over Afghanistan. You're talking about the 80s? You're talking about them right now. <laughs> <laughs> Time warp. <laughs> All right, just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Deja vu. <laughs> what, what goes around once will come around again, right? Not um, making a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, 1980. Awfully familiar. I'm just saying. I don't remember back then, but awfully familiar. I was in Taiwan back then, but whatever. Okay, yeah. so you were in Taiwan. All yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm graduating high school, and June of 1987 was a historic moment. President Ronald Reagan uh, was visiting West Berlin to give a speech at the historic Brandenburg Gate, and uh, within eyesight was the Berlin Wall that uh, the, the communists had erected separating East and West Berlin. And, and let's just pause here. This is such a picture of totalitarianism. Imagine having to, to put a wall around your city to keep your people in, to keep your people from leaving um, and, you know, uh, and kill them if they try to leave. That doesn't say much about your government or your country or your, your view of life or your worldview. But that's exactly what communism did was build walls around, not like we're saying, to protect your nation and to have borders, but actually to keep your people from leaving, uh, which is just the opposite of, of freedom, obviously. But interestingly enough, uh, Reagan was... was you know, looking at his speech and bouncing those ideas off of his cabinet. And there was a uh, a famous line in that speech. Some of you who are my age will remember this. Um, but there was a bold moment in that speech where Reagan says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And, uh, and it was a bold prophetic declaration. And um, so this is when we have, for instance, Henry Kissinger, who, of course, was recently honored, too, for all of his... Um, uh, uh, Diplomatic, yeah, being being the yeah, famous American yeah, diplomat, yeah. but he was pushing for a kind of detente. It's like don't don't awaken the Soviet Union. We don't want the bear to or, uh, come out of its hibernation, and we certainly don't want to be warmongering, you know. Um, and there was a uh, uh, basically uh, uh, Chief of Staff Howard Baker called that statement extreme and very unpresidential. Now I'm looking back here. You talk about how far we've fallen. Yeah. I mean, Ronald Reagan was the master communicator, and uh, and his speeches were stuff that you would listen to today for inspiration and just for to learn from. I mean, it, he just was an incredible, incredible communicator. And um, and to call the the uh, tell Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and consider that extreme and unpresidential. Right. Wow, have we have we come a long way from, right. from right. that? That's so that's so right. mild now. Right. Uh, General Colin Powell, uh, De Deputy National Security Advisor, agreed. Um, we shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this. But this is what I love, and it's really true of all great leaders. There are times when you follow your gut and you follow your instincts, and you 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 go with what you know is the right thing to do. And uh, and Ronald Reagan could see through the thin veil of. The Soviets, you know, what looked like uh, their power, their their uh, strength, this giant Soviet wall that seemed impenetrable, and um, and and he recognized this is this is like a straw man. If we just give it one push, this whole thing is going to come collapsing. Um, but when you're when you're afraid of your reputation, when you're trying to preserve the status quo. Um, 
when, you know, yeah, some of these chief of staff, they're, they're looking out for their image, for their future, for their next career step, right? And when you're looking, when you're looking at truth and you're looking at life through those kind of selfish lenses, those lenses of self-preservation, um, you're not going to have a very prophetic voice. You're not going to say the things that need to be said, and you're probably not going to take the courageous steps mm-hmm. that need to be taken because you're more focused on what could be. And I was thinking back some of the choices we've had to make over the last few years, uh, you know, where, we, where if you were sitting back trying to play it safe and wondering, well, what if, or what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Instead of just doing the right thing and trusting the Lord, um, I can see that tendency to move toward paralysis, right? Toward inactivity. But Reagan said, no, you know, I'm going to take a bold step here. He looked at all those people behind uh, the Soviet uh, curtain who were being... Uh, abused, mistreated, imprisoned, loss of life, liberty, um, and, uh, and he spoke to it, and he spoke to it prophetically. And there's something powerful, and I think that's, that's been Metaxas's point all through that book. Use your voice. Stand up for truth. Don't roll over. Don't play it safe. Uh, speak the gospel. Declare God's word. Um, you know, stand for what's right. And use the voice God has given you. Just point out evil. Call a lie a lie. Um, you know, be prophetic, which is what the church is called to be. And Ronald Reagan was that prophetic voice. And when he, when he said that, you know, I still remember that. Even pointing to the wall, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down your wall. I mean, it was like a electric moment because here you have a world leader of the free world directly confronting. It was like Moses and, and Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. Um, it was a, a, an historic moment for the good guys. And today with all this globalism stuff, you it seems like we're trying to dumb down. We don't, we, we don't even have a standard anymore. We can't even call, you know, he, he was taken to task because he called the Soviet Union, Ronald Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil empire. Well, that was that was a value judgment. All the all the left the, who don't believe in absolute truth were like, "How can you call them evil? Um, you're using a you know you're, you're using a moralistic term." But Reagan uh, had a moral compass. He believed in truth, um, and he wasn't afraid to stand up for it. And the the rest is history, shall we say? Because that speech we're still talking about it today. And interestingly enough, what happened after that? Uh, and I believe it was 1991. Uh, yeah, 1989, the Berlin Wall toppled, and in 1991, the Soviet Union um, was completely dissolved. So that's powerful. Four short years later, yeah. Yeah, and so so his his words actually put a spine in people's back, and when and then when you know it's interesting when you see the, the wall falling over, that's when everybody now wants to jump on board right. and say, right. "Way to go, right. President Reagan!" Um, but it took it took his courage, even in the face of his closest cabinet members' uh, objections, to go against those objections to do what he knew was right. And I jump into a parallel of a pop culture, well, not really pop yeah. culture that we, you and I were just talking about earlier. You know, yeah. let's talk about Elon Musk real quick. Mm. And, and again, a different type of word. Nor, I'm not going to repeat it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, 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 but basically, because of the, from my understanding, the access of Twitter or, or X, call uh, to allowing free speech. Right. And a lot of corporations are looking to boycott, you know, 
Elon sure. Musk and stuff like that. And I'm not making a value judgment what he said, whatever, because I don't even know the details. I, don't, yeah. I didn't follow all the details. But basically, they're trying to, to what deplatform him through uh, boycott, de yeah, demonetizing, Demonet they take, yeah. taking away taking all, all the advertisers. advertisers. And then one of the biggest uh, advocate of that is Disney. And you're talking about like the emperor no clothes on, and and, oh, yeah. and and Reagan be able to look at the Soviet empire or union to say, hey, look, like you're 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 boasting a strength that you not you, you actually don't have, like, right. calling their bluff basically. I mean, you and I were just talking about. I, I saw a report that in this year, Disney has lost around three hundred seven hundred fifty million dollars. Wow. In, uh, in. Lost in that money in their movies wow. because almost, they're pushing almost a billion dollars, three fourths of a billion dollars because they're because these movies are pushing a certain agenda that people just don't want to watch. I'm not talking about Christians, just anybody. I mean, yeah. this is like real world money, a lot of money. Well, and to boil it down, you know, Ronald Reagan said the Soviet Union was built on a lie, and anything that's built on a lie will not be sustainable. You can't you can't have a family and gender and sexuality, uh, a worldview that's built on a completely unnatural, ungodly lie and expected to survive. So Disney has built its empire by serving families yeah. and promoting family wholesome stuff. Now, it, yeah. it's, got, it's gotten away from that for a long time. It's yeah. not just recently. But that's what the... But more blatant than ever. Yeah, more blatant than ever. And, and so now you're going to blatantly not only undermine the very values of the people who have been, you know, card-carrying Walt Disney Club members, you know, but, but you're also going to basically shake your fist at God and mock everything that's true and, and genuine and beautiful. Uh, in the name of cr creativity or whatever, and and then you're stupid enough, you're so blinded by your ideology that you're losing almost a billion dollars, and like how much do you have to lose before it really hurts and starts getting your attention? You know, a lot of these these places keep plowing right ahead. Yep. I just yep. saw where uh, even though Target's lost as much as they've lost. They're talking about the next uh, June uh, Pride Month and, and how they're going to roll things out differently. But they haven't repented. They haven't changed their minds. They're just trying to uh, come out with a new marketing strategy that's maybe not as painful to the bottom line. Uh, these folks need to continue to continue to be punished by by those of us who say, you know, we've had enough of this of this wickedness and these lies. We're not going to support it. And I just thought I was watching that interview because it was all on my feed. I just popped up my feed when Elon Musk was challenged with people. And he basically he basically says, I'm gonna paraphrase, uh, people are really people are really kind of can see what's really happening. And, and because the, the, the interviewer was saying, Well, aren't you affected by this boycott or whatever? And he's like, Yeah, it's it it, it, it might destroy us. But then the people already are are will take will boycott them in terms, and they're like, "What you think people boycott Disney over?" He's like, "They already are." Yeah, and and basically, in general, I get again. I'm not in the corporate world, but it seems like everyone basically just kowtows down to these corporate uh, agendas and pressures in general. And here's a guy whose net worth is a lot more than you and I, but still, it's going to affect him dearly. Basically, saying, "Hey, you know what? The impress no clothes on." That's kind of my interpretation oh, yeah. of that. And and and. Again, I'm not saying I'm not making a value judgment because I don't really know Elon Musk or know I know his character and whatnot. But more and more people are starting to speak up and say, "No, we're not going to take that. We're not going to submit to that pressure. We're not going to submit to this this 
this basically blackmail right. that you're 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 putting us under that people have submitted for decades. Right, and I don't know about you or where you get your news, but a lot of times I'll I'll just scrolling through my ex Twitter feed, you know, yeah. uh, and just seeing what's been going on across the nation uh, in the news that day, and it is amazing to me the. You know, sometimes you get discouraged because you see, like, what's going on in America right now. But I'm, first of all, I'm very encouraged that there is a lot of people, are a lot of people who are speaking up, who are asking the tough questions, who are trying to hold people accountable. But you see that the corruption is so deep and so widespread um, that trying to get anybody nailed down where there's actually justice. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. What what are they saying now about uh, on the news uh, on the left about a possible Trump reelection? Mm-hmm. He's going to put people in jail. No, no, no. And what's funny is that's exactly what they're doing yeah. right now. Yeah. Everything they're afraid of uh, is exactly what they're doing. I can't believe that they're still trying to track down people who were, who were just there at the January 6th uh, rally. They weren't there to cause problems. They weren't there uh, protesting. They weren't there to hurt people. Uh, I know people who were at that event. It was a mostly peaceable event. Uh, it was a it was a uh, a godly event. There were a lot of Christian people out there who were deeply concerned about um, the election and the way that election came down. And they were simply exercising their their you know freedom of speech. Um, and now we're tracking these people down like criminals. Um, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, um, the uh, Wendy's that was burned to the ground during the riots of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the two people responsible for lighting the fire and burning a Wendy's down uh, during those riots got a $500 fine. Uh, and I forget how many hours of public service. This is for burning an entire establishment to the ground in a, in a violent riot. Um and then you have people who are there on January 6th who are, are, are getting put in prison for like 10 years, and they didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and anyway, it's just, it is, it is definitely a two-tiered system of justice. And I think it's just interesting that those who are, are guilty of the corruption and the lying and cheating and stealing and doing whatever they have to do to stay in power will always project exactly what they're no, doing exactly on yeah. on uh, the candidate that they think is going to get them back, you know, pay them back for for the way that they're they know actually the, They acting. know the game's played. They're simply filtering everybody else through their own wavelength. Yeah, creating fear. and, and uh, When Jesus says, take out the, 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 <laughs> the plank out of your own eyes before you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. I mean, there's such deep, re- that resonates so deeply in our culture today, and people don't even see it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of a platform like that, that that promotes free speech is you can't you cannot just keep lying to people. Eventually, the, the lies get exposed. And, um, you know, I think that's my hope is that when you <clears throat> when you build anything on a lie, it's only a matter of time before that lie gets exposed. You know, I would say that as a pastor. To people, you know, if if you build your your life on shifting sand, eventually the storm is going to come, and you're going to find everything lost and destroyed. It's the same thing with whether it's uh, evil ideologies like Nazism or or communism or Marxism. <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> you cannot you cannot sustain a movement on something that's just uh, countercultural to 
ultimate reality. You know, God's kingdom is ultimate reality, and everything that's counterculture to that kingdom is is a lie. And whatever is a lie won't stand. And it might take you, like in the Soviet Union, it took several decades before the Iron Curtain fell, but it's unsustainable. What's going on in China right now? Unsustainable. Um, what's going on in Russia? Unsustainable. What's going on in America right now uh, is unsustainable. Unsustainable, absolutely. Um, well, and, let's look at what happened in Netherlands. You hear the new oh. Netherlands of all places, the places that you think would never turn right. They have they they uh, elected a new prime minister, president. I forgot the yeah, term yeah. of of basically who's just like we're not dealing with this stuff anymore. Argentina, right? <laughs> Again, another place that I would never expect. Yeah. And, and what I love, yeah. and maybe this is a good way to to end, is these are people that instead of admiring the emperor's clothes when he's yeah. naked. Yeah. They're just coming right out and saying, yep. what are we doing yep. with a bunch of people in our country who hate us? Why would we allow people in our country who hate us and who want to destroy the, the way that we're that has been part of our tradition in our life? Let's export these people. Yeah, rocket science, right? right? Of course, yeah. Why are they here? But even to say that, it would be thrown back in your face that you're this evil person and right. you're racist and blah, right. blah, blah. It's like... It's like, no, you're not racist. We're dealing with ideas. I, I had somebody ask me one time, I think we were talking about um, Islam, and, the, and they were basically challenging me on, on my view on that. And, and I said, l l let me rephrase a little bit. I said, why don't we look about not religions or not races? Why don't we look at the realm of ideas? If, if you had people that were in your country whose stated goal of their, their religion, their ideas, was global takeover and that America was evil and that America, uh, you know, as they're saying now, first they're going to take out the worshiper on Saturday, the ones who worship on Saturday, and then they're going to go after the ones who worship on Sunday. Well, that's the Jews on Saturday, it's the Christians on Sunday. If you have people whose stated objective, that's their idea, that's their belief, is to kill you eventually, mm -hmm. get rid of you, why would you? On a, on a uh, scale, scale of moral equivalency, why would you say, well, we need to accept everybody's ideas? No, some ideas are bad ideas. Some ideas are evil ideas and wicked ideas. And those ideas should be separated from your people because it will lead to damage and destruction and evil. Um, it's the same thing. These, these people you just talked about are, are so bold in what they're saying. And it's resonating with the people because it's true. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking we're starting to see the mama bears awaken. We're starting to see, uh, you know, conservatives that are just telling it like it is. I, I think what Ron DeSantis did against Gavin Newsom in that debate where he just, you know, just beat him up with facts. I yeah. mean, this is the facts. Boom, 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 boom. Um, you can keep living in your la-la land fairy tale world, but this is the facts. Um, I think people like that, and they're looking, they're looking for leaders who will lead. And leaders who will call an ace an ace and a spade a spade. I just saw that uh, Riley Gaines was uh, uh, testifying at Congress over men competing in women's sports, and and a, um, a congresswoman from Pennsylvania uh, basically accused her of of being transphobic, and she said, "Well, no, it's not that I'm transphobic. It's that you're um, uh, a, a misogynist." Yeah, yeah. And um, and then the lady struck down her comments from the congressional record um, because she realized, okay, 
I see how this sword cuts both ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you really are someone that hates, you're a woman who hates women because you won't even protect women, women's sports or even the identity of what it means to be a woman. So again, I think when people are bold like this and they use their own uh, faulty logic against them and expose the, the foolishness, um, we win. And, and, I, and if, if we could summarize Metaxas's book, that's what I think I heard is be the church, love the Lord, stand for truth, unashamedly stand for truth. And if we show up and we speak the truth, truth will win. Yeah. And that's what America needs, and that's what the church needs to do. And, um, and I think I, I'm encouraged because I believe we're seeing an awakening um, and that people are getting their voice back and, uh, and they're speaking boldly. So we hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this book. Letter to the American Church. Letter to the American Church. And uh, next week we'll be uh, coming out with some fresh vision. I haven't even had a chance to talk to my co-host here, so I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag because uh, we're going to have to uh, do some planning, you and I, before next Thursday. But uh, I just got a quick recommendation. Yeah. If you attend a different <clears throat> church, will you consider to pray Buy this book and give it to your pastor to read. Oh, now you're being controversial. <laughs> just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. <laughs> just say, hey, pastor so-and-so, would you consider reading this book? Yeah. That's, that's all I'm going to ask. That was a recommendation by Pastor Andrew. Do not get mad at me for that recommendation. Because <laughs> yeah, I say I said it. Because I know. They'll have that, to read it. That, that, talk, about, talk about messing up the status quo. <laughs> <laughs> They don't have to read it, but just, just a thought. <laughs> just, or just put in the just put in their mailbox. You don't even need to ask them to read it. Just put in their mailbox. <laughs> All right. Until we meet again, you guys have a great week. And hey, use your voice. Truth wins. So uh, let's continue to speak it. Have a great week.